0: Before the service began, John came over and spoke with me about the text I'll be reading. It's the passage from John 3, so familiar. said he was excited to hear about Adam and Eve uh, being naked in the garden. And I reminded him that in my first church, I preached on this text, and between services, my organist came up and said, you know, they might have been naked and unashamed, but I was clothed and uncomfortable. I hope that won't be the case today. Let us turn and listen to God's word as it comes from John or from Genesis chapter three. Hear God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God say you shall not eat from the tree of the garden?" woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his marvelous book on biblical characters, Frederick Beekner writes this about Adam. He let the times fall to the carpet beside him. It was the usual recital, a new tax plan, the danger of oral contraceptives for women over 40, the mayor's special committee on child abuse. He posted his glasses back on his forehead and with the thumb and forefinger started to massage the loose flesh under his eyes. Through the club window he could see a woman in slacks waiting for a bus, a boy with a ponytail walking a dog. Somebody had the TV on in the other room and he could hear the rise and fall of canned laughter. He lit a cigarette and let the smoke drift out of his mouth without exhaling it. The city sky was turning brown with the approach of dusk. Then suddenly, as if it had only been yesterday, he remembered Eden, the leopard, the starling, the rose he remembered giving each its name remembered the green river the shy green girl he could no longer remember why it was he had felt compelled to leave except that it had something to do with asserting independence beyond that he had only the dim sense that somehow a terrible injustice had been done or possibly a terrible justice He saw the flame of what must have been the sunset flash like a sword in the upper story windows across the street. When the old steward brought him his third martini, he called him Pete. Actually, his name was Angelo. And just to provide equal opportunity, here's the first thing Beekner writes about Eve. Like Adam, she spent the rest of her days convincing herself that it all worked out for the best. It was only once in a while at night, just as she was going off to sleep with all the usual defenses down, that her mind drifted back to the days when, because there was nothing especially important to do, everything was especially important. When too good not to be true hadn't yet turned into too good to be true. When being alone was never the same as being lonely. Then sad and beautiful dreams overtook her, which she would wake up from homesick for a home she could no longer even name. Homesick. Homesick for Eden. Have you ever been homesick? Homesick is the kid on the second night of summer camp, lying in an unfamiliar cot, listening to the owls, longing for the security and protection of some place better known. Homesick is the college junior on the first night of a study abroad, disoriented from jet lag and anxious from navigating a new country and language, wanting to be back in a setting where there are familiar faces and home cooked meals. Homesick is the aging couple moving yet again, but this time from their own apartment into an assisted living unit, viewing the photograph of their beautiful home and remembering all the years spent raising generations of family there. Homesick. We know how it feels. It's the risk of stepping out beyond the familiar landmarks, dependable relationships, and recognizable food. Remember, back to a time when you felt it. I think we've all felt it this year when we try to define what new normal is. But chances are, it's a glimmer of what it's like to be homesick for the Garden of Eden. Reflecting on the passage, my friend Bill Carter notes, Most of the time that we remember Adam and Eve, we recall the forbidden fruit, the talking snake, the taking of what they were told not to take, the hiding, the blaming. But frankly, the Jews never spent much time revisiting that part of the story. They knew that they had already been expelled from Eden. Now they had to make their way in a world with the knowledge of good and evil. It was Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor, who said that this is what makes human beings different from other animals, that we have the capacity to make moral choices. And we have to make the choices because it's no longer Eden where all the choices were made for us. Maybe, as some Jewish sages have suggested, Eden was never meant to be our long-term home. After all, goes the reasoning, if God did not want us to have choices, then God would have implanted an obedience chip into our hardware. We would be good robots who always colored within the lines and always did what was respectable. Like the story that Bill Moyers tells. He says, my mother used to leave freshly baked sugar cookies right in the middle of the table, warm and inviting, but forbidden until supper was over. If she meant the temptation to test the discipline to build character, my brother and I often flunked. I think of this when I hear the story of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Why didn't God place the forbidden fruit on the very top branch beyond the reach of innocence? The, the the truth is that we make choices all the time sometimes by animal impulse rather than logic or congruity or faithfulness consequences once again we find ourselves far from home the ancient story speaks of this god gives us room to choose between good and evil there is no heavenly hovering no warning sirens when we get too close God entrusts us with the ability to make good decisions. And whether or not each decision is good, it comes with natural consequences. So the Lord says, so Adam, you, you want to go it alone? Well, here's your hoe. There are the fields. Eve, you thought you could be fruitful by yourself? Guess what? When you go to be fruitful, childbirth, did isn't going to be any picnic. Up until now, she hasn't worried about that. Life outside of Eden is going to be hard work. So this isn't a biology story or a science story. Rather, it's a diagnosis of our human condition. We are given great choices and great freedom, and they come with consequences. More important than some philosophical notion of original sin as our genetic condition, there is also residual homesickness. We all have these choices. That's what makes us human. And we also long to be united with God. And that's the homesickness. The, the Welsh have a wonderful word that I've known all my life. Hiraif. It's not a word that is easily translated into English, but it's, it's like homesickness, but rolled up with grief and sadness over what's lost especially in the context of Wales or the Welsh culture. It's a mixture of longing and yearning, nostalgia, wistfulness, or an earnest desire for the Wales of the past. If you've ever read or watched how green was my valley as I rewatched it for the umpteenth time the other night with tears in my eyes, you've encountered hieraith. I think that's the kind of homesickness we have for Eden. The old poet describes us feeling well, A feeling of sadness and longing that is not akin to pain, that resembles sorrow only as the mist resembles the rain. As a boy, the first week of June always marked the beginning of summer with all of its shimmering glories. My boyhood home, 2911 Westminster Road. How's that for foreshadowing? was a post-war suburban split level built in a neighborhood that surrounded a public park. In the summer, the city would hire a school teacher or a graduate student uh, to supervise the little cinder block building where the sports equipment and the ping pong table were stored. From 9 a.m. till 2 p.m., all the children in the neighborhood were playing there, playing kickball on the tennis courts, baseball or basketball, sliding down the twirly-whirly sliding board, teeter-tottering, climbing monkey bars, throwing quates, or playing box hockey in the sheltering shade of the craft's wide awnings. But the best game to play was hide-and-seek. You see, some days there were more than 50 of us there and we would spread out. The, the, the boundaries were the park, which was about five acres. But an interesting thing happened. The longer the game went on, the more you wanted to be found. You know, playing hide-and-seek with God is not a game, though. Rather, it's a sign that guilt and shame and distance have been intruded into our first and fundamental relationship. Adam, where are you? is the great existential question of the Bible. one of his novels, the great southern author Shelby Foote has a character named Dummy. And stranded on an island in the middle of the river, he muses, I I know where north is, I know where south is, I know where east is, I know where west is. But where am I? I think Adam and Eve were glad to be found. Ask anyone who's been to a 12-step group for any time, and they'll tell you how grateful they are to no longer be living in the shadows. Because right decisions take wisdom. They require clarity. They need courage. Because the only way forward is forward. There's, if there's a longing for Eden, it's a desire to be restored and brought back to God. God. It's to be at peace with God and through that, to be at peace with one another. And there's no greater peace than to stand before God guilt-free and say, these are the decisions I've made. I could do no other. I own them and I offer them as the best acts of faithfulness that I can do. God, finish and heal what I cannot. That's why the table of Christ is such a compelling invitation for us today it's a way station on the road to the great banquet when all will be restored when the new jerusalem comes down for us as a gift it will come not because we are righteous not because we are good but because god is better at goodness and righteousness than we could ever be and god is so good to stay with us and stay after us until that final day appears Did you notice in the garden story, I was well into my 20s before I ever realized that my Sunday school teachers neglected to point out that after Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, God stitches their first set of clothes. Can't go walking around there with those stupid fig leaves on. So God says, here are some real clothes. That's an unexpected grace. They don't have to fend for themselves or play hide-and-seek anymore; They are found, provided for. Then the grace continues through the ages as God keeps speaking, offering even more guidance after the first commandment is ignored. For we do not live by bread alone, but by the Word that God still speaks. And I'll tell you the very last Word that God speaks. Welcome home. The Lord be with you. Lord God, we do not ask for such wisdom as to become like You. We ask only for the wisdom to listen for Your voice and to heed Your teachings and to come to know the One who is Your Word incarnate, Jesus Christ who feeds us at this table, who nurtures us in His love and grace, and who welcomes us home. Amen.